And so that's why all the recommendations are suggesting we need to eat less red meat, eat more plant-based foods, more legumes, uh, those kinds of things in its place. Nuts are a healthy protein, tofu, uh, lentils, garbanzos, you know, there's a lot of healthier sources and that's protective to our health. Whereas if you eat in the others, every increase raises our risk for diabetes, raises the risk for cancer, raises this for cardiovascular disease, raises the risk for death overall. My name is Jim Reynolds, and, and I'm here with Dr. Don Hall, and he has agreed to, to speak with me today and to talk about some things. Now, we have been working for years. I, I'm the president of Ultimate Mission, and Ultimate Mission does projects all over the world, including in the United States, and we have used Dr. Don Hall's materials virtually all over the world. And so he has got a new book out that is called Be Well for Life. And if you can see it in this picture, oh, I'm holding up back a little bit. You can see it better. <laughs> but um, this is a new book. It comes with some PowerPoint slides and a pre and, and it just, I've read through it and it looks like a really good presentation. It, it just goes along with the same type of quality that Dr. Hall is known for throughout the world. And so, so thank you for this book. This is, uh, looks like a great deal. So you were telling me earlier that you've already started that you have 30 churches that you just did a program for. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, what we do here at Lifelong Health is develop uh, educational resources for church members to use in presenting health classes in their communities and their churches and so on. And this is our latest program. Uh, it's called uh, Be Well for Life. And uh, it takes a person through a series of lifestyle change uh, principles so that the end of uh, six weeks or eight weeks however long the series goes uh, people are putting these principles into their practice in their life and uh, it makes a big change in their life so we talk about healthy eating we talk about exercise coping with stress in life all the kinds of things that's important for us in having a successful healthy lifestyle yeah, so I noticed the the book is in sections and it has different colored sections in the book um, it starts out with an orange section. So every section, as I understand it, is a week. And in the, yes. back, of the, in, in the back of each section, there is a little diagram where you can put your goals. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the idea is not to just listen and then go away and do nothing. <laughs> no. But the idea is to apply it. So we talk about here's some basic principles that can help you to live healthier and longer, prevent disease. Now this week, go home and practice them. And so in the back of the book, it actually has a place for them to log in. Maybe we're talking about exercise. So they log in how many minutes they exercise each day. Maybe we're talking about eating more fruits and vegetables in the next section. And so they keep track for a week of how many fruits and vegetables they're eating. And they've got a goal that they're working towards. And that way, they're putting into practice what they're learning. And the book goes along with the presentations so that they can keep records of what they're doing. And it's just a good way to track their progress. 
Now, I've seen some of the PowerPoint presentations that go along with this, and I know that there's a lot of people like me that don't have a medical background per se, but I was looking at those presentations and it looked like it'd be pretty simple, even for somebody like me that doesn't have a, a master's in public health, but I can, I could run these, these PowerPoint presentations and run a program with a group of people pretty easily. And I, and well, a lot that's, of that that's the idea. Impressive. Yeah. Because, uh, it's difficult to go through all the research that comes out and to summarize all of that. And so that's what I try to do. I've done this for my whole life now. And so when a good study comes out, I take the key principles that a person needs to do and how it shows that it makes a difference in their life. Maybe it drops their risk of cancer. Maybe it increases their life expectancy. And so I put it in a little chart so you can see it graphically. And then I summarize over on the other side, here's what the research found. Maybe it was a large study of several hundred thousand people and they were followed for maybe 20 years and that they did these things and here's the results and it shows that if you eat more fruits and vegetables your mortality rate comes down and based on the number of servings you know whatever the graph is about so it's fairly clear to see and you can look at that image and the little summary there and get the the, the things that you really need to know quickly so it makes it easy to do so, so how would somebody, if they wanted this set of books, if they wanted to do this program, how would they get a hold of this? How would they, is there some way they can contact you? Is there, do you get this at the Adventist Book Center or how do you get these books? Well, they need to order them directly through Lifelong Health, which is our health ministry outreach program. We do have a website that's called myllh.org, which lists most of the programs we have. And then, of course, they can always call us directly over the phone. And that's what most people do is just give us a phone call. Do you want to put your phone number on this? You it doesn't hurt. Huh? <laughs> that would be 503-804-9827. And probably the better number to call, my wife takes the orders, and then I make up the software and send it out. But the better number is 503-816-3084. Mm, okay. And so we, we get people calling us from all around the world and uh, we put it together. We distribute it on a little thumb drive or a memory stick. You put it into your computer and instantly you're ready to go along with the book. And then there's educational materials that come along with it. And then there's instructor's guide that uh, for each class that tells you here's the key things to emphasize and what to present. And then there's the PowerPoint slides. And then at the, with the slides come speaker notes at the bottom so that uh, if you're not sure what it says, you can look down in the speaker notes and find additional information about that slide. So it makes it easy for anyone, whether they're health professional or not, as long as they're interested in living healthily, they can take that and teach a class and all the information and all the references where the studies were done and so on are right up in front of the people so they can see that. Oh, perfect. So you dummy proof it or, or gym proof it as you may call it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, Ed, uh, so, so some of the things I read in here were surprising to me, and, and I don't want to give away all the surprises in this book, but one of the things that was most surprising to me, and I guess as I, I looked at the statistics, it shouldn't have been, but when it was brought out the way you put it, that, um, that, that diet 
is the biggest health risk. I mean, above above smoking, above alcohol, above uh, drugs. I mean, from what I was seeing, and, and we always talk about the opioid crisis and how many people are dying from the opioid crisis. But but in the graphs that I seen that you were showing, the the opioid or the drugs are are very very minute compared to the amount of people that die from a bad diet. Well, there was a very interesting study done, and this is in the presentations. You'll see the graphs and the research of us done, where the uh, top leading health uh, professionals in the United States got together and said, what are people dying from prematurely? And uh, they did a very careful analysis of the research that's out there. They made up some graphs. And it is true that the number one cause of premature death in the United States is poor eating habits. And that's over 650,000 people a year. Yeah. Now, we're right in the midst of our uh, crisis here with this COVID-19 virus. And uh, mm -hmm. every day we were reminded how many people die on, uh, and so on. And what is it now? Somewhere around about 85,000, I think. Yeah, somewhere in there. I haven't looked today, but yeah, it's in the 80s. But every year, 650,000, almost 10 times that amount, die from poor eating habits. And hardly anyone ever talks about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot that we can learn from that. And, uh, and of course, then it goes through and talks about the other 10 or 12 leading causes of things that you can do. And uh, we cover all of those in this uh, series, in this uh, eight to 10 week series. Yeah, I mean, it, it covers an awful lot. One other thing that, that really stood out to me as an Adventist man myself uh, seeing some of the statistics in the Adventist Health Study to see that in the United States, 19% of men uh, live to 85. If I was if I was reading those stats correctly, and 41% of Adventists, not even vegetarian Adventists, but 41% of Adventists live to the age of 85. Adventist men, and uh -huh. that was like, wow, that's that's quite a quite a difference there. It is different. And of course, people have over the years have, have uh, mentioned that Adventists have a healthy lifestyle and that we live longer than most people. And if you want to learn how to be healthy, ask an Adventist. <laughs> mm -hmm. Some of the things that's been out there over the years. And the particular study you're referring to was done at Loma Linda University and they compared uh, life expectancy. And uh, it, the chart shows from different countries. You know, the people who live the longest are in Japan. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, yet the Adventist average Adventist lives, there's twice as many men who reach the age of 85 uh, than the people in Japan. Yeah. So even when you compare it with the best nation in the world, Adventists still have a significantly higher rate. And, and if you're a, a vegetarian Adventist, uh, eating a more healthful diet, uh, they had even the highest record. And so that shows that that study shows that uh, vegetarian Adventists are the longest living group of people ever studied and reported in a scientific journal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, if you look at, at what Adventists believe as far as not drinking, not smoking, not doing drugs, that takes a lot of the really high risk factors out of it. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of us that are overweight. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that, that's a great thing. For the, with this book, you have a, a whole section on talking about keeping a healthy BMI, a body mass index. And so, yeah, that's, that's an important thing, very important thing. 
So, but as you were, you, you had told me once before, and I really loved what you were saying before, is that even if you are a little bit overweight, like I could lose a couple pounds, um, if you exercise, you still are, are better off than somebody that's skinny that doesn't exercise. So there's, there's still good things that can happen for you. Well, that's the interesting thing about exercise. It's almost like an antidote for being overweight. Mm. If you're overweight, your blood pressure goes up. As you exercise, your blood pressure comes down. If you're overweight, your blood fat levels go up. And when you exercise, those blood fat levels come down. And uh, when you uh, uh, are, are sedentary and not exercising, you're more likely to have, uh, and overweight, you're more likely to have high blood glucose levels. Right. And uh, exercise is one of the best things you can do for lowering your blood glucose levels. Mm. So everything that weight does to push our risk up, exercise helps to reverse that. So when you look at large studies of people who are exercising regularly, and even if they're overweight, you compare their mortality level, and it's almost the same. There's no increase in mortality as the person who is a normal healthy weight. So uh, it does reverse, not everything, but most of the risks that come with overweight. So I tell people there's two things you can do. You can get skinny, but if you can't get skinny, at least you get fit. Yes, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. Hey, so I want to talk to you, you, you mentioned a little bit about COVID-19 and the coronavirus, which we're all dealing with right now. And, and it is just, it's kind of stopped the world. And, and it's, you know, I think some people call it a black swan event. In other words, even the experts don't know all the answers right now. Everybody's doing a lot of guessing. But one That's thing, right. we, one thing that um, I believe you have mentioned before is that even with this coronavirus, people that are surviving the coronavirus, when they contract this this virus, if they have a healthy lifestyle and they're healthy to begin with, they're getting through this without as many problems as though as the other people that have high blood pressure, diabetes, and so forth. Yes, that's true. There's. Uh what we call the vulnerable people. And they're usually people who have uh, uh, health problems. They may be, uh, obesity seems to be closely related to that. Um, high, high blood glucose levels, diabetics, uh, people with other existing heart problems or cancer and so on. Somewhere where the body's systems are uh, not as healthy as they could be or should be. Mm. And those people are more vulnerable. So if they get the infection, they're more likely to die from it. Uh, the healthier people uh, seem to be able to cope better with it and uh, get over it like they do the flu or anything else. So maintaining a healthy lifestyle is probably one of the best things we can do in preventing uh, mortality from this new virus. Well, yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense seeing that we probably won't come up with a vaccine or anything like that for quite a while yet. And, you know, I am, I am also hearing that uh, we need to develop herd immunity. And from the studies I've done, that takes about 70% of the people to have either contracted the virus or have vaccines. So you have some experts out there saying that there's a very high percentage of this that may get this virus before it's over with. So being as healthy as possible, uh -huh. maybe our only, <laughs> our only hope. <laughs> it's our best uh, strategy at this moment. That's right. Yes. 
Best strategy at this moment. That's a great way to put it. So as we're talking about this best strategy, one of the things that you have developed in the past, which Ultimate Mission uses in their Healthy Heart program when we go into um, convenience stores to do blood pressures. And also, while we're doing this, I want to thank you for allowing us to give this to the people of the Philippines. So normally churches, this is a great thing, um, churches buy these, these programs from you. And, and then they use that in their churches and in their communities. And it's part of the way you continue to survive is, uh, you know, the way your business keeps going. But you let us have this for free to give to our group in the Philippines uh, for them to use it. So, and I want to tell you, they've been using it in the Philippines and it's very been, good. Yes, it, it's been, it's been great because they couldn't afford to pay what the churches here could pay for it, of course. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, so we've been using it there. And, and I want to talk to you a little bit about it today because I also noticed that you mentioned it in your, your program is that people should do a health risk assessment test that gives them their health age and kind of gives them the, the idea of some of the ways they can improve their health. And these are very simple tests that you can take online. Matter of fact, um, I am doing this with people on Zoom right now where we can just do this health risk assessment test right on the computer. They don't even have to come to my house. And, and so I want to go through some of these questions that you ask uh, very quickly and kind of get your background uh, on, on some of these things. Because, you know, as I go through it with people, I can tell them what I know, but of course, I don't have the, the education and I haven't done all the research you've done. So, so to get your take on it would be, oh, this is going to be a great thing. Once they've gone through this, I'd love to give this to people, this video we're doing right now, and they can get, you know, an overall experience with this. And one of the first questions, well, of course, we talk about age. And I want to talk about somewhat how this has to do with the coronavirus, what, how this helps us. And we've heard that people that are older are more susceptible to the coronavirus. And that's a, the first thing you ask on this, besides your name, is, is, is your age, your age and gender. So do age and gender seem to have anything... Um, is the coronavirus attacking people of a different age or gender any more than anybody else? Well, certainly the coronavirus, uh, the older we get, the more susceptible we are to infections and uh, particularly this virus. So yes, that's a big factor. In fact, I recently heard on the television, they were talking about it. They said the average age in the United States for people who die is about 75. Mm. So uh, the older we get, the more likely we are to die. Of course, that trend has been up for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's no reason, uh, probably the, one of the factors that goes with that is our health often gets poorer as we age. And as people get older, maybe they don't exercise as much, maybe they're not eating as well, maybe they do other things that's not helping their health as well as it could be. And so if the people who are older, but who are exercising and staying fit and trim and eating well, and and getting their sleep and doing these kinds of things, they certainly have a much healthier, much uh, greater advantage in surviving this virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I watched something where a lady over 100 years old got the virus and was able to overcome it. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. I I, I, I'm trying to remember, but it seems like she had caught the swine flu, or not the swine flu, the um, the the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh huh. And so she had <laughs> been through both pandemics, 
and caught both both of the the viruses so that was kind of and survived them both so that's uh, <laughs> yeah, good genes help too that's right um so height and weight so we talked a little bit about your bmi and so this is the other question is height and weight which basically goes to what's your bmi your body mass index and so the being overweight uh you were saying has a little bit to pro the people that are suffering the most with the coronavirus seem to be overweight yes that's a very common factor that goes along with it but of course with being overweight comes hypertension high blood pressure Mm -hmm. and a greater risk of diabetes and a greater risk for cancer and a greater risk for heart disease. So what it uh, precipitates out is the person's likelihood for disease is higher. And that's probably the relationship, but uh, it is much more common in people who are obese than people who are, are lean. Yeah. So then I noticed in the health status, it's, it's interesting. You have uh, four different answers. You say, um, how do you rate your overall health? And you have excellent, good, fair, and poor. So what is the difference if somebody, in how I rate my own health, how I think about my health? Uh-huh. Well, that's interesting. And, and every one of these uh, uh, questions that we have are based on research that's been published in the journals. And this question is a kind of a universal health uh, self-assessment that has been used for years. And when you follow those people up and see who lives the longest, we find there's a very close correlation on their longevity and how they answer that question. Uh -huh. So while it's a very simple uh, question, it is a strong predictor. And people who realize that they don't have good health, they seem to be in tune to that, uh, die sooner. And those people who feel like they got excellent or good health, so it is a strong predictor of survivability in the future. Hmm. So basically, you can live longer if you want to. <laughs> well, if you take good care of yourself and you feel better and you feel healthier, uh, naturally, you're going to say, I feel better health, and you will, will live longer, too. Positive attitude. There we go. Physical activity. So... Uh, are we looking at, when we look at physical activity, do we all need to be going to the gym and lifting weights every day? I mean, what kind of physical activity is, is gonna statistically give us the health that we need to have to have this longer life? Well, the research shows us that any activity we get is beneficial. And so uh, even if you don't get the higher standards or whatever, any kind of exercise we get seems to have a positive benefit on the body. The research that shows where that we get the most benefit is from what we call aerobic exercise. It requires deep breathing, gets the heart rate up, we sweat a little bit, uh, brisk walking, jogging, uh, swimming, bicycling. Uh, right now, I'm, I've been doing a lot of bicycling. I enjoy that mm -hmm. for about an hour early in the morning before it gets too warm and a good exercise for me. And so those are the kinds of exercises that seem to be most helpful. And uh, of all the things that you can do, it appears that exercise is probably one of the best things you can do for your overall health, particularly as we're getting older. Because you know, as we get older, we get more sedentary and we begin to waste away. Our bones get brittle. They, don't, they lose the calcium out of them. Uh, we actually lose lean body mass, muscle tissue. And when these things go down, our mortality rate goes up. Now, after you reach the age of 65, we lose about 1% of our muscle mass per year unless you're on a really good exercise program. 55? Uh, over the age of 60, 65, somewhere in oh, there. 60, I thought you said, I just turned 55. So I, I was see. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but 
if you stay active, if you're doing exercise and particularly strength training, and that's why they particularly recommend strength training for people over 65, mm, okay. because it helps to stop that loss of lean body tissue. And you can actually reverse that and actually have more muscle tissue if you train regularly than you had before. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's a matter of use it or lose it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so the exercise helps. Now, when it comes to aerobics, they find that you need at least a half an hour every day on an average. And people who do that live significantly longer, have significantly better health, have less cancer, less heart disease, less diabetes. Uh, it helps to keep your weight down. It's just a, a whole series of things that it helps. And so most of the research shows is that regular exercise is probably one of the best things we can do for uh, promoting good health and having a long life. So is that 30 straight minutes a day or can I do 15 minutes and 15 minutes or 10 minutes at a time or, or what is the best way to go about that? Well, that's the interesting thing. They're finding now that if you exercise, you break it up into two or maybe even three sessions, that you can still get a similar benefit. Ah. So, so if you can go out in the morning and get 15 minutes and if you come home at night after work and you go out for another 15 minutes, walk briskly around the the block and get them say a mile in the morning and a mile in the afternoon uh, you get a similar benefit as if you do it all at once and sometimes that fits into your schedule better yes. and oftentimes it agrees with the body a little bit so that you don't do so much exercise at once uh, it's a little easier on the body too ah yeah very good very the muscles good. and the joints yeah I've, I've noticed bike riding is good is easy on the joints at least for me do you find that as well well that's why i'm biking now uh, mm -hmm. I walk uh, this morning, what did I do? A little over two miles, and that's fine. But if I go four miles, then my joints start hurting regularly. And so if I do a couple miles of walking, and then in the afternoon, I jump on the bike, and I ride for a half an hour or 45 minutes, uh, it agrees with my body, and I don't get the sore knees and the sore hips, and I, I just do better. So it is a little gentler exercise. Mm. And, and I, I noticed that um, some older people that have been sedentary and haven't, you know, they, they've gained some weight and they may have sore knee or, or whatever, um, they're, they're hesitant to do any exercise at all because they don't think they can ride a bike or they can walk very far. Is there, is there any kind of, of sitting exercises or anything that people can do that to start off if they haven't really done anything at all, but they know they need to do something? Um, is there something they can do? Well, walking is the gentlest exercise for most people. But even most people, some people then who have been very sedentary and overweight, it does put a little more strain on the joints. And so uh, water aerobics is a, is a good alternative for that. Okay. Um, that's one thing we also like to do here. It's a hot climate. And so when it's real hot outside, we jump in the pool. My wife used to be an aerobics, water aerobics instructor. And so she takes me through a routine and you can do a variety of exercises that's very easy on the joints and very easy on the body and yet still be a stimulus to help us to have better health. Now, good, good. So there's a variety of things people can do. There, I, I've seen some rubber bands that you can order online and, and maybe do something at a chair where you're stretching bands or you're, I don't know, it just seems like there's, um, for some people, even it's just really tough to get uh, to get to do regular exercises because they've let things go so long that it's it's really hard on them. 
Yeah. Well, we've been talking about aerobic exercise, and what you're referring to is more strengthening exercise. And as we said, particularly as we're getting older, that's very important, keeping our muscles uh, from wasting away, also keep our joints strong and healthy so they don't ache so much. And so they have the little stretching bands is good. And you can use those in a variety of ways, you know, stretching over your head, stretching down, sitting down, and putting them over your toes and pulling. So what your idea is, you're trying to stimulate all the body, body's muscles in the legs and in the abdomen and the arms and the chest and shoulders and so on. So those can be good. You can also get some simple little weights. They don't cost very much. And you can do, you know, some simple little barbell things at home and, and uh, arm curls and over the head and the tricep uh, exercises. So uh, you can get a variety of those things. I, also, one of my favorite pieces of exercise gear is simply an exercise pad. And I lay it out on the floor <laughs> and I can get down and I can do some curl ups, uh, you know, laying on my back and do some exercise with my legs. I can do some push ups or, or the, uh, different kinds of things that stimulate different exercises. A new one that they do a lot now is the plank. Yeah. And you just uh, rest on your elbows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. your, your back and you hold your stomach up off that mat for as long as you can. And if you can do that for a minute, you're doing quite well. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot harder than it looks. Uh-huh. And so it, what you're doing is strengthening those core muscles in the body. Mm -hmm. And so I love just an exercise mat. You can do anything with that mat uh, to stimulate your the muscles of your body that you can with the fancy gear in the, uh, in the gym. So it's just learning the different kinds of activities you can do. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff on YouTube or what else that'll show you. And so, so yeah, I mean, if you can lay down, you can exercise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that should include almost everybody. So let's, let's move on to some of the, um, the, some of the things that we eat our diet. And, and the first thing you talk about here is whole grains and, and I know a lot of people think that, that they quit eating bread, thinking that that'll be more healthy for them. They'll lose weight. And so what are, I mean, I, it kind of drives me crazy because I've heard you talk before and I've read your material, but explain to us why stopping eating whole grains is not a good idea. Well, a lot of uh, attention, we kind of go through cycles. And right now the cycle is uh, grain free. <laughs> you see all kinds of products in the, stores are selling it like it's supposed to be healthier. Uh, but here's the problem. The problem is, is that when we've been eating grains, over 90% of the grains we eat are highly refined. An example would be instead of whole wheat flour or whole wheat bread, we eat white bread and things made out of white flour, like uh, muffins and uh, pancakes and waffles and white rolls and pastries and cupcakes and you know, the list goes on. And these are all highly refined grains. Now, because these grains have been ground really fine when they hit our stomach, they're absorbed very quickly and they raise the blood sugar just as fast as pure sugar. Mm. And so this raises the risk for diabetes. It raises the risk for adding excess weight because when your blood sugar's levels goes up real high, you have to push out a lot of insulin to bring that down. And what that does, of course, is it pushes it into storage. So uh, the, the idea was, well, quit eating grains. Well, that's one approach, but a better approach is instead of eating the refined grains, eat the whole grains. And so in a whole grain, uh, you're getting the fiber, which helps to slow down the digestion, helps keep the uh, blood sugar levels low, 
you're getting a lot more of the uh, minerals and vitamins that's in that food. Uh, it's just handled completely differently. And what the research shows that instead of eating, giving up grains, we need to be eating some grains, but let's be eating the oatmeal, the whole grain breads, even the real rough textured uh, kinds of whole grain breads are better. Uh, brown rice instead of white rice. And as we're doing these kinds of things, then they're actually helpful for us. They actually lower our risk of some of the digestive diseases, lower our risk of constipation, lower our risk of uh, bowel disease. And even uh, one interesting study showed that the whole grains, where it had the biggest effect was to improve our immune system to lower our risk of infectious diseases. Aha. It was a very interesting study they did over many years and over many thousand people. And they looked at their risk for all these things and their risk of heart disease and diabetes came down, blood pressure, risk of blood pressure came down. But the thing that it improved the most was a person's resistance against infection. Now we don't know why <laughs> some of these things happen. We know it's more nutritious. It also affects the, what we call the biome, the, the bacteria and so on that's in our intestines. And that also has an effect on our ability to withstand infections and good health and so on. So there's a lot of benefits. So the idea is not to give up grain, the idea is to give up the refined grains. Uh -huh. yeah. But what grains we use, good whole grains are healthy for our system. You'll live longer if you use them. Very good, and, and brown rice, from what I understand, my work in India, um, we try to get people to eat brown rice. There's a lot of, and they eat a lot of white rice, and there's a big problem with diabetes in India because of that. But the, there's a, also a lot of problem with joint pains. And, and it's, you know, we, we've been told before that, that the vitamin B in the brown rice helps to, to alleviate some of that joint pain. Is that something you're familiar with as well? Or is that something I'm getting from? Well, there's certain foods that tend to raise what we call inflammation in the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, a group of foods that do that are the refined grains. However, when you use the whole grains, that doesn't happen. It actually helps to reduce inflammation. Mm -hmm. So using the refined grains could make the, raise the inflammation, which could contribute towards joint pain or other kinds of issues. But when you're using the whole grains, it does not cause that problem. Ah, okay. All right. So we get down to fruits and vegetables. And well, back to the whole grains. I mean, it sounds like as we're talking about COVID-19 and what we were talking about before, the, a lot of us may get the coronavirus. It sounds like the whole grains are, are something that will help to keep us from feeling some of the full effects of that. I mean, if it brings our diabetes and our blood pressure down, that's, that's one of the high risk problems. And so that's right. Yeah. So as far as fruits and vegetables, I know I've been seeing a lot of stuff about vitamin C out there. And so I know there's a lot of fruits that give us vitamin C. Why is vitamin C so important when we're looking at viruses? Well, we've known for years that if you have a lack of vitamin C, your ability to uh, fight infections is significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of our keeping our immune system healthy is getting adequate vitamin C. By the way, that's the only place you get vitamin C is from fresh fruits and vegetables. Okay, so the vitamin oh. C you're getting in the pill, they're getting from the fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and it's not just the vitamin C, but there's all the other things that come along with it. All different kinds of phytochemicals and vitamins and minerals and things that help keep the every cell healthier and helps the immune system to work better. So uh, the best way to get your vitamin C is in those big 
orange round pills. They call them oranges. <laughs> yeah. Just eat the whole orange <laughs> or the grapefruit. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's uh, vitamin C is in almost all fresh fruits and vegetables. So if you eat a tomato, you're getting it. Even a potato has uh, vitamin C in it. Of course, the peppers and uh, uh, the berries are very healthy food to be eating. They're loaded with vitamin C. But there, it's not just the vitamin C. It's all these other things, including the fiber with it, that seems to make our immune system healthier. Okay, so so the best way to get it is is to take it naturally. I mean, if you have to take a pill, I guess, but its best way is just to get all your fruits and vegetables. And then, of course, I mean, with calories, if you're trying to lower your BMI, how does that help us by eating fruits and vegetables? Can I just... Well, they're the lowest in calories, of course, of any of the food groups, particularly the okay. vegetables. So uh, uh, loading up on vegetables, you know, the new... Um, little diagram they have for encouraging people to eat healthier, the food plate, healthy food plate. You've probably seen that. Yeah. And the idea of the healthy food plate is, is every meal, half of that plate ought to be fruits and vegetables. Mm. Mm. Now, when you go out to the restaurant, half the plate is a steak. The other half might be a potato, mashed potatoes or, or something, and that's it. But uh, what they're talking about is every meal, half of that plate should be fresh fruits and vegetables. A quarter should be a healthy protein, another quarter a healthy grain of some type. So if you follow that eating pattern, uh, it, the whole idea is to eating more plant-based foods because all the research shows is we eat more plants, uh, we live longer, we have better health, we have less disease. So, so wait a minute though, I have a big potato on that plate. Now, now does a potato count when we're talking about fruits <laughs> and vegetables or, or how does that work? Harvard's uh, nutrition department has put out a, a food plate too. And uh, as you're reading down through there, it says eat lots more fruits and vegetables. And then a little parenthesis says, potatoes don't count as fruits or vegetables. <laughs> potatoes don't count. <laughs> well, potatoes have kind of got a hard rap because uh, that's about the only vegetable some people eat. And mm. when you eat a potato, and we know from when you fix them, they're basically just starch. Right. A lot of starch. Now, they do have a little vitamin C, and they do have some minerals and things in it that's healthy. But uh, because it has so much starch, and when you bake it, it's real flaky and soft, hits your stomach, it's absorbed very quickly, and it raises your blood sugar almost as fast as eating, again, sugar or a wow. soft drink or something like that. And so uh, in, in the nurse's health study where they took uh, 80, 90,000 uh, nurses and followed them for 20, 30 years now, uh, they found four foods that were significantly related to raising your risk of uh, diabetes. And one was uh, white bread, white rice, white potatoes, and the last one was soft drinks, which is basically just water and sugar. Yeah. All of those tend to raise the blood sugar very quickly. So if you're uh, uh, eating a lot of potatoes, their research showed that it does raise the risk of diabetes. Now, with a little bit of a caveat to that, if you don't have the great big potato, you, you eat less of it, has less of effect. If you eat a bowl of chili beans with it or something, that slows down the absorption. If you exercise afterwards, that helps to burn up the glucose so it doesn't get stored. So you can have some potatoes occasionally, just as a part of a healthy overall lifestyle. But if we eat too many fried potatoes, it's not good. Oh boy, I love potatoes too. How about you sweet know? potatoes? Can I have sweet potato fries? <laughs> sweet potatoes have a little lower glycemic index. They raise the blood sugar a little less quickly. So uh, 
same thing, just don't overdo. Okay. All right. There and, and there's the and there's the hard part. Everything in moderation. Um, the main way that people eat uh, potatoes in the United States, you know, is uh, either fried like uh, hash browns for breakfast right. or French fries. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we get into trouble. And the French fries, you've got a lot of uh, other kinds of fats that are entered in with that. And particularly French fries are, are not the best. Yeah. Yeah, because they're they're deep fried <laughs> most of the time. If we don't air fry them, uh -huh. oh boy! So then we're then we're talking it, down here. You ask how much red meat, how much processed meat, and I notice when I'm doing the tests with people, and I when they have a lot of meat on there, and I hit compute, and there's a little graph that goes across, and and it goes from red to yellow to blue to green. And I noticed that graph stays in the yellow and red a lot of times, which is, is high risk or, 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 or moderate risk when people have meat um, checked off as one of the things, or red meat and processed meat. Yes. Uh, Harvard's done probably the best study on that, again, in the nurses' health study and then the study with men in the health professional follow-up study. Uh, when you put the two together, it's nearly 200,000 people now in their study. And they followed this for many years. And then they simply plot in a graph how much uh, meat they eat per day. You know, if it's just one or serving or two or three or four or five or every day they eat meat. And then you check, the, you look at their mortality levels. And every time there's an increase in meat intake in their diet, mortality rate goes up. Mm. And so that's why all the recommendations are suggesting we need to eat less red meat, eat more plant-based foods, more legumes, uh, those kinds of things in its place. Nuts are a healthy protein, tofu, uh, lentils, garbanzos, you know, there's a lot of healthier sources and that's protective to our health. Whereas if you eat in the others, every increase raises our risk for diabetes, raises the risk for cancer, raises this for cardiovascular disease, raises the risk for death overall. So the data is very clear on it. Now of all the meats, there's one kind that are the most dangerous and that's the processed meats. There would be things like ham, uh, bacon, uh, hot dogs, salami, uh, luncheon meats, right. all those processed meats. They have things that are added to them for the flavor and to preserve them. And that seems to add the risk. And so uh, that almost doubles the risk of uh, eating red meat is when you eat those kind. So in Harvard's uh, food guide, uh, they say if you're going to use red meat, don't use it very often, maybe once or twice a week. Uh, if you're going to be eating any kind of meat, it says eliminate all processed meats. Don't eat any. That's their recommendation. So uh, that, that's the highest risk. So what are, what are the, I mean, if, if I like to eat meat, what is, are the meats that I should be looking for? Well, chicken is healthier, uh, poultry. They have uh, uh, lower, it does not raise your risk so much as red meat does. Uh, however, if you use a, a plant-based protein, you, you get the protective effect. So not only does it not raise your risk, it actually lowers your risk. So if you, studies have been done where they replace chicken with uh, lentils, beans, garbanzos, nuts, uh, plant-based proteins, and the risk drops even further down. So those are the healthiest. But the two kinds that uh, if you're going to eat meat would be poultry and even less of risk than that would be fish. Mm -hmm. And fish has a very healthy kind of fat instead of a saturated fat. And people who eat fish have less heart disease. Uh, they have better longevity. And probably the reason why over in countries like Japan, 
And those places where they have more fish and less beef, they have the best longevity of any nation in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like that because I'm a pesco, what I guess would be called a pesco vegetarian. Yes. So I, <laughs> I love to go fishing, and that's the only time I really eat the fish is the fish I catch. But uh, so I was very happy to see the studies that pesco vegetarians actually have a higher, um, have a uh, lower risk than pesco vegetarians actually have a lower risk than the vegans. That's uh, for certain things. That's right. So, so yeah, I, I, I'll just stick to that. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I get lucky with something, but. In the Adventist Health Study, where they compared the different kinds of vegetarians, uh, when it came to things like cancer prevention, particularly bowel cancer and so on, the people who had the very best, uh, lowest rates were those who had some fish in their diet each day. Yeah. And what it appears is there's a kind of fat in the fish that's a long chain fatty acid, uh, DHA and EPA uh, kinds of fats that seem to be protective against some of those kinds of things. And uh, fish are protective against cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Well, and then of course you can take the fish oil caplets, right? Yes, that's another source of DHA and EPA. And then for those who want to have an all plant-based diet, you can buy supplements of the same thing that comes from seaweed. Uh And that's where the fish get it. Right. The fish don't make these fancy fats themselves. They can't. (laughs) The plant make all of the nutrients that we require. So the little fish eat the plant, they get the, uh, these fatty acids that are protective in their bodies, the bigger fish eat the little fish, and it accumulates on up the line, and that's why fish is protective. So a lot of people just take the, uh, the DHA and EPA supplements that come from the seaweed, and that would be a plant-based source of that for those who would like to do that. So there's a lot of alternatives. Takes all the fun out of catching the fish, though. <laughs> When I was up in Alaska talking about uh, healthy uh, proteins and so on and showed them the chart and how fish was uh, protective, they were all very happy yes. uh, because uh, they had just put a lot of salmon into their deep freeze and uh, getting ready for winter and <laughs> they eat a lot of salmon up there and of all the fish, that's one of the healthiest. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, it's always nice because a lot of times when you think of eating healthy, you think of, of things that don't taste very good. So, <laughs> But really, that's not true. There's a lot of ways to make things taste good. And it's, it's always nice to find out something you like anyway. Just happens yeah. to be healthy. Like strawberries. I mean, I love strawberries. And <laughs> that's a very healthy berry. So, yeah. And, an, and another very healthy food are nuts. Ah, of all yes. the things that you can do, eating a handful of nuts a day is one of the simplest. They taste good. We had some for breakfast this morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, they are very protective to the health of the body. And it's probably the easiest way to increase your longevity, just eat nuts every day. Ah, okay. Well, now I take and I put almond butter on my toast in the morning instead yeah. of regular butter. Uh-huh. Does that do the same thing for me? That, that's excellent. You bet. It's just uh, almonds ground up in a small, you know, particles to make it into the butter. And uh, it's very healthy for you. So sure, much Good. better. But there's not a lot of vitamins and minerals in the butter. Right. <laughs> Mostly just fat and calories. But when <laughs> yeah. you eat the nuts or the nut butters, you're getting a lot of good nutrition along with that. And it's very protective to the cardiovascular system. Mm. And tree nuts are, from what I've heard, are better than, say, ground nuts or peanuts? Uh, let's, let's call it this way. Tree nuts are what we recommend. 
Mm -hmm. uh, peanuts are still good. Mm -hmm. It's the tropical nuts that tend to have less of the polyunsaturated fats and less of the omega-3 fatty acids that are protective. Uh, the best ones of those would be things like uh, walnuts, but, uh, and almonds are very good. But peanuts are also good. And when they've done studies with peanuts, they showed that uh, mortality levels went down and uh, they were very protective. So oh, good. the only ones that uh, might be a little less uh, protective would be the tropical nuts. Mm, okay. Tropical nuts like, um, what, for instance, cashews, macadamias, coconuts. All right. All right. Okay. So we get down to, boy, this is, we're, we're, we get a lot of conversations going on this. We could probably go all day doing this if we weren't careful. <laughs> There's just so much about each thing because we're, we're only down to water right now. And so we talk about how much water we should have a day. And I yes. think the, the, the program, it's recommended, what, five to eight glasses a day, eight ounce glasses? Well, that's a minimum. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And if you live in a hot climate like we do down here in Southern California, especially in the summertime, you probably need twice that much. Uh huh. And so uh, water is very good for the body. You know, we're mostly made up of water. Mm -hmm. That's the greatest percentage of our body. And the organ of our body that is mostly water is our brain. So when we become dehydrated, all the things that, uh, that are supposed to be happening in our body is depressed somewhat. It's hard for the kidneys to clean the blood when it doesn't have hardly any water to do it with. Uh, it's hard for the brain to think properly. And so the brain doesn't work as well when you become dehydrated. If you're doing physical work with muscles and so on, uh, if you're dehydrated, they become uh, fatigued much faster and they don't work as efficient. Uh, you can't cool your body. The water, one thing you do through sweat and so on, it's helped to keep your body cool. So uh, the warmer the weather, the more water you need, but all of us need at least five or eight glasses a day. And the best way to tell if you're getting enough water or not is simply look at the urine color. When you go to the bathroom, uh, if it's uh, quite dark yellow, that means you're not getting enough water. It, it should be either light yellow or almost clear. And that means you're getting plenty of water to take care of your body's needs. Now there's, there's, there's a lot of water in coffee. So if I, if I drank, you know, five or six cups of coffee a day, is that going to give me the water I need? <laughs> well, sometimes people say that. And we had a young family member that stayed with us for a year, and all she wanted to drink was soda pop. Mm. And it's a liquid, too. <laughs> mm. The research has looked at that, and it's not the same. Uh, they, it's true they give us some liquids, and you can get by on that. But for the best health and keeping the circulation healthier, water is always better than any of the other uh, carbonated drinks or soft drinks or sugar sweetened drinks or coffee those kinds of things okay all right well we'll keep that keep that in mind and then we go down to salt and sodium so you have four different levels here of, of either you don't care at all basically you say you use salt freely or you haven't made a decision to slow down on salt or I use salt sparingly or I, I never add salt. So what is what's so important about salt? I mean salt makes things taste good for crying out loud. <laughs> well you do need some salt mm -hmm. but the average person eats two to three times as much as is good for their health. Uh, in fact, the average person almost uses twice as much as the upper recommended limit for salt intake. And so it's only a problem when we eat too much. And where we get it is the salt and the sodium is added to foods 
when it's packaged and processed. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you eat a uh, baked potato, you might get eight milligrams of sodium. If you eat potato chips, you might get 200. Uh -huh. See those huge differences? Right. If you make your own beans and just salt them lightly, you get just a little bit. If you buy canned beans, that might be 500 to 600 milligrams per serving. Yeah. Whereas in the beans themselves, there's maybe five or six milligrams. Mm -hmm. So it's about 100 times more. And it's the ketchup and it's the gravies and the sauces and, and chips and all of these kinds of things, these processed foods, where we get way too much sodium. So again, if we start eating more whole grains and more fresh fruits and more fresh vegetables and be careful of adding the salt on the table, sodium levels go way down. And in fact, uh, in the DASH diet, which is designed by our government to lower blood pressure, they want people to be eating as many as eight to 10 servings of fresh fruits and vegetables a day because they're so low in sodium. And at the same time, they're high in potassium, which is protective against high blood pressure. Uh -huh. And so when we eat these foods that are low in sodium, less processed, then our, uh, our health is better. And the blood pressure just naturally drops. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, and that's, and, and again, we're talking about the coronavirus. People with high blood pressure are more susceptible to the problems developed that's from right. that. That's right. And so, boy, as, as we move forward in this strange new world, this, what they call the new normal, that I don't really like the new normal right now. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for the old normal again, but it looks like That's we're right. going to deal with this for a while. So we come to um, that. Now we start talking in your, in, your, in, in your paper that you have here, you start talking about alcohol. Um, and so how does alcohol really affect our health? I mean, we know that the, the guy laying on the sidewalk downtown Portland, you know, that's not healthy. He's been drunk all night. But for the, for the average person that just gets, you know, has a few drinks on the weekend or maybe a couple drinks a night, how does alcohol affect our health? Well, let me just state, first of all, that uh, alcohol is one of the top 10 causes of early mortality. Mm. Uh, close to 100,000, probably somewhere between 80 and 100,000 people die each year from too much alcohol. Uh, you don't have to take a lot uh, sometimes to affect our judgment. And so somebody might be a non-drinker most of the time, but on the weekend he decides to have several drinks. He might have, you know, several beers. It's not uncommon on the football game to see people carrying in their six packs or their 12 packs <laughs> yeah. and uh, then their judgment is impaired and they get in the car and they go home and they make a mistake and and someone is killed maybe himself or maybe he kills someone else because of the accident so we see a lot more deaths from accidents on the highways you know we're talking about tens of thousands of people each year yeah. that die from the effect of alcohol and then it affects uh, our judgment in a lot of other ways <clears throat> social and gets us into problems and problems with the law and, and uh, immorality and a whole series of things that people uh, because of the influence of alcohol on our mind cause us to make poorer decisions and we get ourselves into trouble we also see higher levels of mortality from suicides homicides and violence and so there's a whole series of things then there's of course the health issue if we drink too much Alcohol, of course, is not a balanced food. It's mostly calories, and it has an effect on, uh, on the liver. 
And so in those countries where high alcohol levels are the present, we have high levels of liver disease and people dying from liver problems. We also see a lot more stomach cancer and mouth cancer and esophagus cancer. Uh, alcohol is called a cancer promoter. Uh, people who drink even moderate levels, just a few drinks per week, women, have a significantly higher rate of breast cancer. Wow. So it's not without risk, uh, even if you do it in a small amount. Now, if you're going to drink, uh, it's recommended you know you don't drink very much, no more than one or two drinks uh, a day at most. Uh, if you're a senior, they recommend no more than one drink per day. Uh, <clears throat> but if you look at the charts, these are in the graphs we show in the series, uh, they took a large group, uh, several hundred thousand people and followed them for many years, asked them how much they drank. And every time the amount of alcohol they drank went down, death from any cause also went down. Mm. And so even people who are, you know, in the United States, we say men could have up to two drinks a day. But if you looked at those who had two drinks a day, they had significantly higher mortality levels than those who had just one or two drinks per week. Mm. And so any amount of alcohol appears to raise your mortality level. Oh. So what, what we're recommending is if you're going to drink, don't drink very much. Uh, don't drink every day. Uh, keep it to one or two drinks a day. But uh, if you want the best health, we, uh, my personal view is not to have any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have, I, I have been since 2006. It's 2020 now since I've had a drink, and I will tell you that I, I feel great, and, yeah. and I'm glad that I haven't had any. And the now, other thing that that I've quit for that long because I had to quit, I had to quit drinking in order to quit smoking. And so the oh. next thing you talk about is 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 uh, cigarettes and smoking. And there's three categories. There's never smoked. There's the category I'm in, which is an ex-smoker, and then currently smoke. Um, and when we're talking about the coronavirus, I mean, everybody knows that smoking's not good for you. But when we're looking at the coronavirus, and and one of the things that happens when people are are really adversely affected by the coronavirus is 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 their lungs. Um, they get pneumonia. So how does smoking? I mean, how would quitting smoking help us in this time period right now? Well, smoking damages about every part of your body. And so uh, whether it's your immune system or your cardiovascular system, the brain for Alzheimer's disease, everything is, is damaged by smoking. And, and next to a poor diet, you know, smoking is the second leading cause of death in the United States. So it's certainly a big factor. Um, as, and as you mentioned, it certainly affects our lungs, our respiratory system. And if you want those to be healthy and protect yourself from, from this virus, uh, Certainly, avoiding smoking is a very positive thing that you can do. So you were telling me before about the cilia in your lungs, and what is what does cigarette smoke to do to that? Well, your lungs have a protective mechanism lining every little cell, lining the uh, bronchial tubes and so on that go down to your lungs. And their little cilia are hair-like things. They just kind of sweep up the mucus out of your lungs. And they do this all the time. If that didn't happen all the time, we'd all fill up our lungs with junk <laughs> and we couldn't breathe anymore. Uh, you know, where there's polluted air and dust and everything all around us. And so you need that cleansing mechanism. Now, when you smoke on one cigarette, you just take one puff, it paralyzes those cilia for up to 20 minutes. Wow. 
So if you have a cigarette again in another 20 minutes, they're paralyzed most of the day. And that's why oftentimes smokers, when they wake up in the morning where they haven't been smoking, these things finally become active again. They bring up all this phlegm. They have the morning uh, smoker's cough and so on to get rid of all that junk out of their lungs. So uh, yeah, it, it directly uh, interferes with the lung's ability to keep itself clean and healthy. So it's not a good thing. In a virus, I mean, you have a much better chance of that virus sticking in the fluids in your lungs, in the uh, mucus in your lungs, if you don't have anything sweeping it out. And I've also right. heard that the smokers have a thicker layer of mucus in their esophagus. Well, that's because of the, the irritation of the cigarette smoke. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and with that, that thicker layer of mucus in there, it gives that virus a place to stick, to gather into, and to start to grow. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a scary deal. If there's any time that you've thought about quitting, uh, now is a good time. I mean, there's some good motivation right now. Absolutely. And I want to tell you as an ex-smoker, I just love not having to stop by the store every day and carry that pack of cigarettes <laughs> around with me. I just, you know, when you have a pack of cigarettes and you're a smoker, it's like they're your baby. They're your most prized possession. If you, you leave home without your cigarettes, you're in trouble. You, so <laughs> I, I am just so happy. And, you know, back then you used to be able to smoke anywhere. Now you, you can't smoke anywhere. There's hardly any place you can smoke. Uh -huh. So I will tell you, I, I just really enjoy being a non-smoker at this point in my life just gives you a lot of freedom doesn't it it does it just it you know it's not something that, that has a hold of me and and that uh, that i am you know it's, it's like i'm a slave to it and and i don't like anything controlling me i'm, I'm kind of a, a control freak myself <laughs> so i don't like something else controlling me and that was one of the things that helped me quit that and 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 prayer i mean prayer was a big thing for me on that. We go down to the next thing where, where prayer also helps, I think, and, and you talk about stress, and then stress is a, is a huge problem. Uh, what does stress do? And during this time of the coronavirus, I mean, there's a lot of people that are feeling stressed because they're not getting the pay, their paychecks. I know that, you know, some people are waiting five, six weeks before they get their unemployment check. Mm -hmm. What is what is stress doing to us when we're trying to avoid this infection, this disease, the coronavirus? Well, we all have some stress in life and you can't avoid it, but it's only a problem when it becomes excessive. And of course, now is a time when it's become excessive in many people's lives because they've lost their livelihood perhaps, or they're concerned about what's going on. And uh, stress has a, a negative effect on the immune system it suppresses the immune system. And a lot of studies have been done and they look at groups of people and if they're going through very stressful periods in their life, they simply catch more disease and experience more disease than people who aren't under stress. That's what the early studies were showing. Mm. In animals, when they're doing studies on stress, uh, the way that they check to see if the animal has been stressed enough is they actually uh, uh, take out some lymph nodes in the animal and look at it under a microscope. Our lymph nodes are part of the immune system where they catch us, these viruses and these bacteria, they get into our body and we destroy them. And if you're under a lot of stress, those lymph nodes become atrophied and they, and they tend to not function well. And so the best way you can tell if a person is under a lot of stress is to look at the immune system and you see that it's atrophied and not functioning properly. Wow. 
Uh, of course, stress has effect on our mental health. We do, uh, we do things that under stress that might not otherwise uh, make poor decisions. Uh, it affects our appetite. Sometimes people eat too much when they're under stress. They try to make them feel better, so they eat more, and it causes a problem that way. Uh, it can sometimes make people smoke more if they tend to be a smoker. Uh, there's a lot of things that it affects other bad habits too. And a lot of part of it is sleep. We're not getting our sleep. And of course, that's when our body's health and our immune system and so on is all revitalized. So we're healthy and feel better the next day. So uh, under stress, uh, we need to find ways to relieve that stress and to uh, add a little more balance back in our life so it doesn't do us in. Yeah. Well, and especially if it lowers our immune system. I mean, that's what we need right now more than anything is that immune system to be fully functional. And so that's we right. go to the next thing is, and, and it's uh, talking about sleep and you mentioned sleep in that. And so sleep helps our immune system as well, correct? That's probably the most, one of the most important things we can do to keep up our immune system is getting our rest. People who don't sleep or, or stay up late and they get up early and they push themselves and drive themselves. And again, it suppresses the immune system. I know in my own personal life, uh, you know, we're exposed to viruses and bacteria every day. And we don't get sick because our immune system handles it. But if I stay way up late and miss three or four hours of sleep and I'm fighting some kind of little thing that comes along, that's when I'll get the cold. That's when I get the infection. And I can look back and say, well, you know, I stayed up two or three hours late that night, stood on my regular routine, and that's where I came down. And so it does affect the immune system. So getting enough rest and avoiding being uh, excessively tired, exhausted, that also uh, lowers the immune system. So it's just, again, it's kind of the balance in our life, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, that, and that's an eye-opener to me because I, I, when I go to India, I spend it takes me 30 hours to get there. And <laughs> I don't get enough sleep or enough rest. And, and a lot of times in India, I'll catch cold. Mm -hmm. I'll catch something there. Yeah. And it's very frustrating, and, and that makes sense. Social support. Um, and so we're talking about, you know, are you, there's four different things that you have mentioned here. Are you married? Um, do you make uh, frequent contact with family and friends? Do you participate regularly in a faith group? Um, or do you participate in some sort of social group? Why is it so important that we have this, this social network around us? You know, it's something we don't think about much, but our interaction with other people is stimulating to our own health. Mm. And I think a lot of us are experiencing that now where we're a lot of isolated and uh, people aren't as happy and they're upset more and they're frustrated and uh, maybe they uh, do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. But uh, having good friends and uh, probably your best friend you can have is your spouse, uh, as a support, social support, um, those things are strengthening not only to our mental health and our social health, but our physical health. And there's been a lot of studies shown for people, for example, who uh, are going through health problems. Maybe they've just had a bad heart attack and they're uh, recovering from that. And uh, you'll see some of these slides in this program if they go through the program. And they look at those people who have no social support, those who have one person that can provide, or those who have two more people in their life that can provide social support during that time that they're recovering from this serious illness, and you look at mortality rates, and it's just amazing. Wow. Uh, twice as many people die from those serious problems they're going through 
if they don't have good social support. Mm. It somehow gives us strength and courage and the body, immune system and everything simply all works better uh, when you're happy and when you've got people to talk to and people to encourage you and support you. Uh, it, it's just essential for good health. Now, in one of the early studies that was done in Alameda County, this is one of the lifestyle studies, the seven health practices study, you maybe heard of that one. And they looked at different things that people did. And one of the things they looked at was these four categories, that's where this question came from, of how much social support did they have in their life. And that turned out to be one of the top two or three predictors of a long, healthy life was good social support. Mm -hmm. And people who didn't have it, they simply died sooner. And if you look at the mortality rates, it's a, it's a big jump. Men had twice the mortality rates during the period of that study, and women had up to three times the rate if they had no social support compared to people who had good social support. Wow. So it does make a difference. Yeah. We are social animals. We were meant to be together. We are. And, and, and what we're suffering from right now is social isolation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So getting on the phone and talking to somebody and doing the, the Zoom and whatever with the family we like to do on the weekends, uh, those are important to keep those relationships going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's pray that this starts to, to let up and, and, uh, and we can start getting back together in small groups slowly but surely. I, I know I'm ready. So the last question you have on here is happiness. And, uh, you, you know, so there's four different categories. There's very unhappy, not very happy, happy most of the time, and very happy. So why, what makes the difference in our health when, when we have this, when we're happy, when we have positive attitudes? What can make a difference in this time that we are now with the coronavirus if we can find some way to keep ourselves, I don't know, in a, in a, in a better state of mind? Uh-huh. Well, it's an interesting area, and it's been had a lot of research recently. Uh, maybe you heard the term psychoneuroimmunology. I have it's not. It's a study, and uh, when I was at, uh, going to the university, there was just beginning to learn about this. It's the study of the mind and how it affects the immune system. And what they can find is that when you're unhappy, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're upset, it suppresses the immune system. And they actually can look for different immune indicators in the blood and tell uh, mm. what has happened as a person's uh, mental attitude has changed. And so uh, they've done studies now that if people can be happy, if they can uh, keep a cheerful, a positive outlook, they'll recover much faster and their immune system is, is healthier. Now, this actual question came from this Alameda County study again, seven health practices study. And they simply asked that question, simple question. And after the seven years of follow-up, that question was the second best predictor of how long people lived. Wow. The only... Thing that predicted better was the level of physical activity. Wow. So it's, it is a strong predictor. And people who are happy and cheerful and, and more optimistic, a lot of studies have been shown between people who are optimistic or pessimistic and a significant difference in mortality levels. So what we think in our brain has a lot to do how our living machinery is working and staying healthy. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that's good. And that's a good reason to try to stay happy in some way or another. And, and a lot of times for me, it's, you know, it's, it's, 
it's time trying to keep the stress from overtaking my life and spending time with family, spending time with God, spending time, you know, study and prayer and meditation and just doing what I can to, to keep good thoughts. Uh, working in my yard is, is something I can do right now. Working in my garden, that makes me uh -huh. happy. Exercise okay. can help make you happy. It can. We did a study, you know, uh, uh, for years, uh, and I still am, we have a company called WellSource that works with large corporations. And so we gather in hundreds of thousands of data. And this question is in that question we ask everyone. And so we took a large study that had uh, hundreds of thousands of people in the study. And we simply correlated uh, between their health status, uh, or I should say between their exercise, how much they exercised, and how they responded to this question of how happy you are. Mm -hmm. And we found that as the exercise levels went up, the happiness levels also went up. Wow. And the people who had the lowest unhappiness scores were those who were the most sedentary. There's something about exercise that's enthusiastic about the body and gets us going. And we even know today now that it produces certain hormones uh, in the brain uh, that help us to feel better and to be happier. And so people who exercise simply are more up and more positive and happier outlook on life than those who tend to be sedentary. Wow. And if you exercise outside in the sun, the sun can give you endorphins as well, from what I understand. That's right. Uh-huh. So, so I, I think God has designed us. David said we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and it isn't amazing mm -hmm. that the two of the best health indicators are exercise and happiness, and they both go together. Yes. And you know, in the Garden of Eden, the Lord... Uh, uh, first home planted a uh, beautiful garden for people to live in. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, uh, I like to be out in the uh, out of doors where there's beautiful flowers and trees and lakes and creeks and mountains and blue sky. And all of that just seems to lift you up. It's hard to be sad when you're out in a beautiful setting like that. Yeah. And so uh, spending a little time in the parks and beautiful places and being active outdoors uh, in a pretty setting, good thing to add to your health program. Yeah. And by the way, when you're when you're fighting this virus, getting out and biking through a pretty area like that and walking in the park and going to the seashore, we're finding that those are things that actually help to lower our risk. Ah, very good. Well, let's continue to do all we can to lower our risk. And um, again, Dr. Don Hall, he has uh, give us your your the best phone number to reach you again. One more time. Oh, uh, if you want to reach uh, order these programs. The phone number would be 503 816 3084. Okay. All right. So you found uh, out just, on the. Go just ask for, for lifelong health. Okay. And then, of course, you can always get a hold of me, Jim Reynolds, at Ultimate Mission, ultimatemission.net. Uh, and I can get you a hold of uh, Dr. Don anytime. So uh, there'll be ways to get to our website and all kinds of stuff. So it's easy to, easy to get a hold of us and I can take you the direction you need to go. But thank you, Dr. Hall, very much for this. And uh, I really appreciate this. I always learn a ton when you and I are talking. And so matter of fact, there's, there's things I do in my life every day that I've learned from you. Um, so, so I hope sometime we can talk again because you know what, there's, we could, like I said, we could do this all day, but we've got to wrap this up so we can do some other stuff. And, and I don't think people want to listen to us for a full day. So <laughs> we will move along now and, uh, and thank you. 
very much for being here with me. Glad to be here and wish you the best of health. Thank you, my friend.